Defence Dialogue, a podcast discussing contemporary challenges in the area of European security and defence. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Nicholas Novaki. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Martin Centre's Defence uh, Dialogue podcast. My name is Dr. Nicholas Novaki. I'm very happy to be talking to you again on another like very topical issue with my colleague uh, Alvaro de la Cruz from the uh, communications team of the of the Martin Center who's going to be uh, like commenting and like sharing his thoughts also on on the issues that we are talking. Initially uh, because today's Friday the 20th of November and the defense ministers in the EU council will be discussing among other things the um, European External Action Service's um, threat analysis, uh, which the EAS has been preparing for the forthcoming strategic compass. So my initial intention was to focus this episode on the strategic compass to give a little bit about background and then what to expect in 2021 when it will be drafted. But then, as always, I mean, the political agenda changes and and the the major kind of discussion point this week and, and, and the previous weeks in, uh, in the area of EU defense cooperation has been this rather interesting and, and uh, surprisingly public uh, disagreement between the German defense minister, uh, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, and the French president, Emmanuel Macron, when it comes to the precise meaning of uh, the, the EU's ambition of strategic autonomy and how strategic autonomy should be interpreted and how it should be uh, pursued. and. This is quite an interesting debate that has been usually like these sort of uh, disagreements and debates like they take place in the council and, and, and in the various different kind of working groups and in the meetings where officials and, and ministers meet. But uh, this one has been very public. So it began uh, at the beginning of November when uh, Ms. Kram Karrenbauer published or wrote an op-ed uh, to Politico like in which like she... Uh, uh, talked very explicitly about strategic autonomy and, and uh, mentioned that uh, like Europe should give up any illusion of uh, strategic autonomy in a sense that if it, if it means uh, abandoning the reliance uh, on the US, because the, uh, the view of the German defense minister, very understandably, is, is that uh, Europe still is very reliant on the US for its uh, security, especially in the, in the nuclear sphere. Uh, because uh, there's, at the moment there's only one uh, nuclear weapons armed state in the European Union, and that's uh, France, and issues uh, like nuclear deterrence, which is the ultimate safeguard of, of uh, Europe's security, are something that are always like discussed in, in the context of NATO, not really in, in the context of European Union at all. And, and uh, we haven't had really a single debate in the context of the European Union about like what role, for example, French nuclear weapons will play in the EU's uh, security policy. So Anagra power like wanted to uh, push against like some uh, tendencies in the strategic autonomy debate, especially those that seem to suggest that strategic autonomy should be an ambition for the European Union to cut the reliance on the, Europe, on, on the United States and basically like go, um, go its own way in, in security and defense. And this was like very interestingly picked up by the French president Emmanuel Macron in a very substantial interview that he gave on the, um, on the 16th of uh, November, if I remember correctly. 
uh, in which he discussed a wide variety of different issues that like, had to have to do with uh, the future of Europe and, and uh, European defense. And um, in this uh, like debate, like Macron uh, said that um, he profoundly like, disagrees with the German defense minister's view as, as expressed in the political uh, article and, and uh, even called it a historical misinterpretation of the, uh, of the concept of uh, strategic autonomy. And, and um, Macron very much like, gave the, the, the kind of French Gaullist uh, in, interpretation in which like, I mean, we must kind of pursue strategic autonomy to the greatest uh, maximum extent to make sure that like, Europe is an effective and credible international actor. And then, uh, obviously, uh, AKK, uh, Annegret uh, Kramp-Karrenbauer, had to, had to respond. And uh, she did this in a, in a keynote speech. Um, she gave uh, earlier this week, and, and which like she tried to kind of tone down like some of the uh, disagreements uh, between her uh, and, and Macron, saying that uh, when it comes to Europe's security and the necessity of uh, Europe taking more uh, responsibility for its own security, I mean that's something that they basically agree. But then the the problem is um, when it comes to suggestions that the Europe could pursue a completely autonomous uh, defense policy from the United States. It would completely like cut its ties uh, to the United States and NATO. Uh, this is not really an option because uh, Europe is still very much reliant on, on the US nuclear deterrent, the nuclear umbrella, and also the vast, vast majority of NATO's um, capabilities are still provided by the US. So there's still quite a, lot, quite a big gap between um, like some, some ideas of uh, strategic autonomy and then uh, what is actually achievable in, in, uh, in the near to medium term. And what is this really kind of boils down to is, is this, we might call it like strategic ambiguity on strategic autonomy because strategic autonomy was introduced first uh, in, in a really kind of big way at the EU level in the 2016 global strategy which uh, is, is, was prepared by the European External Action Service and not formally adopted or endorsed by the, uh, by the council, by the ministers, by the member states. And in this uh, global strategy, there was no formal definition of like, what strategic autonomy means. There was one uh, definition uh, in another document from uh, 2016, the 2016 Implementation Plan on Security and Defense, like which the European External Action Service also um, prepared to kind of give guidelines on like what the EU's concrete level of ambition uh, should be in this area and how it should be uh, taken forward. Um, but that again, like that, that was not formally uh, endorsed uh, by the Council. But this definition uh, said that uh, Europe's strategic autonomy should basically mean that Europe can handle security challenges, especially in its own neighborhood, like when it's uh, necessary alone, uh, but in cooperation like with its partners and especially like with NATO, like when, when at all possible. And because of this continuing ambiguity on the, this really big ambition of strategic autonomy, which has come to characterize a lot of EU initiatives also outside uh, security and defense, uh, technology, security of supply, uh, energy, um, etc. Uh, there has been like quite some time these various different types of disagreements on the ex precise meaning of strate strategic autonomy, but, but never quite 
uh, so publicly at such a high level as this. So voila, that's the uh, overall kind of uh, situation where we find ourselves uh, today. Well, uh, good morning, Nicholas. Uh, thank you for the introduction to the topic. I think it's uh, very useful. Uh, I want to, to start with one question from a quote uh, of AKK's uh, opera on, in Politico. She says, literally, there is an overwhelming strategic need for strong transatlantic cooperation. I think whether we are capable of defending ourselves without the United States' help or umbrella, or even if Macron's strategic uh, autonomy is uh, possible today or in a few years from now, it's kind of sad that we reduce the the reasoning and the argument to a need or a pragmatic, I think it's very Germanic approach, the pragmatism, uh, the need for the United States or, or, or the, 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 the benefit of having them with us. I think regardless of that necess necessity, we should be together because of much more fundamental uh, ideas. I think the transatlantic alliance is something fundamental to consider the West and, and our civilization and, and, and many other uh, levels from cultural to defense. And I don't think depending or not on the Americans is the question. The thing is, we should be together either way. I mean, I don't have no doubts that you have the strategic autonomy to do this podcast by yourself, but we decided to, to do it together because, because we, we want to do it together, not because you need me at all. Don't you agree that it is a little bit sad that we are reducing the, 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 the question to whether do, do we need them or not? We want them. We want to be together, don't we? Well, I, 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 first of all, I want to thank you about the suggestion of, about like my own strategic autonomy. But I have to say that even <laughs> in this case, I mean, my strategic autonomy is very limited because I'm very kind of deeply reliant on your expertise and know-how. So I, mean, <laughs> I think kind of we can end up kind of having the same sort of kind of strategic uh, autonomy debate here as well. But I, I think kind of you're, you're absolutely right in like what you say. Um, and I think both Macron and AKK, they agree more or less on the fundamentals. But I think kind of the, the main issue or like point of misunderstanding here boils, boils down to the nuclear issue. Uh, because in Germany, the strategic autonomy, the way it's been uh, discussed, and the way it's been discussed actually in most EU countries, like is, is defense uh, that what the EU can do in the context of its common security and defense policy. And nuclear issues obviously are not part of that. But in the French context, I mean, strategic autonomy itself is a, is a term that has been taken from the French like strategic discourse. And, and uh, in, in France, France is obviously at the moment the only nuclear weapons uh, state in the European Union after the UK left um, at, the end of, um, at the end of last year. And in the French political discourse on strategic autonomy, the nuclear, nuclear weapons have always kind of been a big part of that. So my kind of feeling or sense is that this is really kind of the key um, point of difference. Like, so what I mean is that both Macron and uh, AKK, they agree on the fundamentals of, of what the EU uh, should do or like how strategic autonomy should be pursued. But then because 
in the French uh, political discourse, like the nuclear element is very closely associated to the strategic autonomy point in France. Um, France kind of finds it difficult as a nuclear weapon state to kind of think of strategic autonomy or restrict strategic autonomy to non-nuclear uh, issues as well. But I think kind of my hope is that like over time, um, the ministers and the leaders of different EU countries like will find a mutual um, tone on this. And I think the strategic compass process that ha has now started and, uh, and, and which will then produce a document that will be adopted in the spring of 2022, like would, will also be a good opportunity, hopefully, to provide some clarity on uh, how strategic autonomy should be pursued and like how it, what it precisely it means. It's a very theological debate. And it's, 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 it's not strictly speaking the the meat uh, and bones of what the EU is doing in security and defense. I mean, the EU is doing a lot of very uh, concrete things when it comes to capability development, for example. But I think it's still good to have a common understanding of what this big overall like ambition means. Yeah, sure. Um, the thing is, not only to me, uh, an early millennial, but probably to most of uh, young Europeans, the nuclear threat seems like 220 century like uh, like very old like we see cyber potential attacks we see uh, terrorism we see so many threats that do not relate at all with nuclear powers or nuclear superpowers that uh, it seems like so uh, old um, in in our minds for example uh, the capabilities to fight uh, uh, common threats in in the sahel or whatever, involve many kind of uh, infrastructure, uh, of course, uh, uh, items, armory, whatever. How can France, for example, impose on a strategic European autonomy without, for example, participating in EU defense key projects such as Eurofighter because they want to benefit their own national uh, defense industry? I think it's, it's kind of hypocrite to, to advocate for, for that and then not participating in every single key project? Or how do we strengthen our European uh, defense autonomy with just a few thousand soldiers on Erasmus in Ilkergrafenstadt and outside Strasbourg that just changed the path of the of the NATO in the morning and put the, the European Union badge in, in the evening? I mean, if, if we don't have a common uh, commitment and, and an universal commitment around the member states, and that is very far from happening because, of course, you have examples like France or Greece in which defense is strategic. But in countries like Spain or Italy or specifically, uh, especially when, when, when you have left-wing governments in, in, in Europe, for them, in, even increasing the budget in defense is something completely out of, uh, out of the question. So how do, you, how do you address all of these realities and all of these uh, issues in order to really achieve a strategic autonomy? Well, I think this also kind of boils down to the question of uh, strategic culture, because, I mean, what you alluded to is the very different, very understandable uh, different threat perceptions and, and, and priorities that the member states have, like, which which has to do with their, like, different histories and, and, and different um, geographical locations and, 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 and uh, different dependencies. I mean, obviously, if, if you're a country like Luxembourg, I mean, which is surrounded by uh, friends, in, in, in all sides. I mean, your threat perception is obviously like quite different to compared to the threat perception of Finland, uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, even even Spain or Italy on, on the other side. And 
this makes this is one of the big reasons like i mean why it's quite tricky to achieve a common understanding of things like like, strategic autonomy even though like we might agree on on a like broad level that it has to do with um, boosting the eu's overall kind of capacities and ability to take more responsibility for its own security but then when it comes to the uh, actual meat of it i mean it's we quite often find ourselves in these disagreements of like what we should do and Crucially, like what we shouldn't do, like in the in the context of uh, in in the context of the European Union, and here as well, like I mean, I, I do hope that the strategic compass process, I mean, will provide some clarity. I mean, it's the EU has has a bad tendency of overpromising, like quite a lot, uh, especially like when it comes to different uh, defense initiatives. Um, things like the battle group battle groups are a good uh, good demonstration of this because. Uh, they were hailed for a long time as one of the EU's flagship capabilities, but they have never actually like been used in practice. But nevertheless, I mean, one of the aims of the strategic compass is to kind of facilitate a common or at least a more shared strategic culture among the member states uh, by boosting understanding of these different threats and sensitivities that the member states have. And like perhaps it'll like lead to a more uh, harmonious, unanimous, like understanding of, uh, of of strategic autonomy as well. Like even though it'll be a it'll be a tricky debate, as the Franco like German debate has like made it quite clear. Yeah, regarding the Franco German debate, one elemental issue that also threatens, in my opinion, uh, the strategic autonomy, the potential strategic autonomy for Europe, at least on defense, um, we have. Several member states that do not belong to the NATO alliance. We have uh, some non-European, uh, non-EU member states that do belong to the NATO alliance that are actually uh, uh, increasing threat to member states. I don't have any doubts that following the treaties, the treaties of the European Union, in case of a, of a real uh, threat to a member state, we will all come and, and aid our, our fellow member states. But how do we solve this Turkish uh, issue with the Germans on one side of the of the equation in France or Greece or many other member states on, on the other? How, how can we even show uni- unity in these kind of uh, issues? Today is Turkey, but maybe tomorrow is something else. Well, that's the million dollar or million euro question at the moment. I mean, I mean, indeed. I mean, the the tensions between the European Union and and uh, like Greece, uh, Cyprus especially, um, and then Turkey on the other side, having increased quite a lot this year uh, when it comes to the situation in the eastern Mediterranean. And, and, and uh, um, at the moment, like it, it looks like Turkey is uh, also proposing a permanent uh, division of the island of um, Cyprus, I mean, which would like further increase uh, tensions and then distrust uh, between the European Union and, and Turkey, which is very unfortunate. Because Turkey is obviously also a very important and, and a valued uh, NATO ally and a very strategic country uh, that, that we've had, had to rely on. We will rely on many important aspects of, of security. But the fact that the current uh, political leadership in, in Ankara has chosen to uh, use quite harsh rhetoric, has chosen uh, to take actions that are not very conducive to a, a cohesive alliance and, and, and uh, I would say even in some cases undermine like alliance sol- solidarity and, and cohesion are very regrettable. And the problem is that these 
tensions in the eastern Mediterranean, the delineations of the exclusive economic zones and, and, and the delineation of the maritime territories. They're such sensitive issues that have to do a lot with kind of national pride in, in, in all sides that at least for the moment it, it feels difficult to achieve a mutually kind of a beneficial or acceptable solution. But I, I, I do hope that over time the Turkish side also like will see the value of a strong and cohesive alliance and like I mean there will be like some sort of uh, movement to uh, uh, de-escalation and, and like restoring the, the, the cohesion of the alliance and Perhaps the new Biden administration in the U.S. Um, like will also be a good opportunity in this sense, because in the past, especially, I mean, the U.S. has played an, an, an uh, important role in kind of facilitating and mediating conflicts in the eastern Mediterranean um, during the Clinton administration, for example. And, and, and uh, I hope the, the, the next U.S. administration like could also like then help these EU efforts like when it comes to uh, uh, finding a more acceptable and like mutually uh, beneficial solution that importantly also protects the the, the territorial sovereignty of, of uh, Cyprus and, and uh, Greece. We all hope for that, for a very strong Europe, a very strong United States, and moreover, a very strong uh, North Atlantic uh, alliance. Thank you once again, Nicholas, for inviting me. I'll let you close the episode. Thank you so much, Alvaro, and, and, and uh, I, I think kind of uh, this has been a strategic partnership, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, like, I mean, that, that kind of facilitates strong strategic autonomy at the Martin Center uh, when it comes to uh, defense issues, and, and uh, thanks a lot for, like, participating in, in, in this episode as well, and I do hope to record the, uh, the, the strategic compass, like, episode sometime in the near future as well to kind of share some thoughts. Uh, on that process as well. So thank you very much and, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening and uh, stay tuned, stay safe and, and um, have a good time wherever you are. Cheers. That was today's episode of Defence Dialogue. Subscribe to our podcasts for more.